The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, P.I.'s Declassified. Today we're going to discuss depositions. They're similar to testifying in the witness stand in court but there are differences as well. Adam Bisnick, a private investigator from Cincinnati, Ohio, joins us here to talk about this topic. Hi, Adam. Hi, Francie. How are you today? I'm great. Am I pronouncing your name correctly, your last name? You certainly are. Okay, yes, great. You certainly are. Bisnick's right. Yeah. Okay. And I you said you were in Cincinnati, but you just told me that you're in Houston. So, <laughs> But, <laughs> I mean, you're based in Cincinnati. You just happen to be in Houston today. I just happen to be in Houston here. I'm enjoying some nice warm weather down here with my wife. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. My company, uh, Gravitas Professional Services, is indeed based in the greater Cincinnati area and licensed in Ohio and Kentucky as a private investigative firm. Oh, great. And, you know, you have such an interesting business name. I know there's a background to it. What What does that mean? <laughs> that, that That is a, a good uh, Good question. We, when I started Gravitas, I was looking as this, the title of this show, PI Declassified, indicates we're trying to raise the bar for all investigators. Gravitas means in Latin, it's one of these Roman virtues that you may have, hear, may have heard. It means sincerity, seriousness, integrity, and dignity. And I like to throw the word it means awesomeness on the back end there just to make it fun. <laughs> we like to do great work and have a little fun with it at the same time, too. There you go. That's great. <laughs> uh, and, and I have to, con- to also congratulate you uh, for being in graduate school because I, I, am, uh, mm-hmm. I love it when private investigators mm-hmm. seek higher education, and I think it's just fabulous. Thank well, you. Thank you so much. I've got, I've got two classes left, so I'm chomping at the bit to get out of this. I graduate come in August and uh, get to walk in December, so that should be a good time. Yeah. Good for you. That is terrific. And the, your degree is in safety, security, and emergency management? That's right. Safety, security, and emergency. It's a mouthful, but uh, I love the classes there at Eastern Kentucky University, where I'm, uh, where I'm a graduate student. It's a great program. I absolutely love the professors there and the, the studies. I'm a huge fan of learning. So even though I'm writing 30-page papers every week, I'm still <laughs> enjoying it. <laughs> right, I still really. enjoy it and, some, and somehow find time to do it. So it's enjoyable nonetheless. 
So do you do you see your business? I know you you specialize kind of in background checks and tenant screening, employment screening, that kind of thing. Do you see your business changing in any way after you get your master's? You know, in a way, it can. Uh, but one of the reasons why, well, there's several reasons why to study that program in, in particular. Naturally, the Homeland Security studies kind of goes along with the investigative side, the security side. But then people wonder, well, why are you studying safety? What does that have to do with investigations? And really, there's a lot. So if That's you're true. in the workers' comp sphere and, and your, your listeners out there who are doing workers' comp uh, fraud, they know this well, that safety is an integral part of the management and the programs at these big corporations, these manufacturing companies out there that might be your, your clients. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times your point of contact is indeed a safety manager. So aside from being kind of a, a plan Z when it comes to the graduate program, it was plan A was to be able to talk directly to the safety managers and speak their language. Right. When I get yeah. into a boardroom, do a sales pitch or whatever it might be, you have intimate knowledge of how they might run their business and maybe even be able to advise them on things that they hadn't studied. So we study workers' comp law and workers' comp administration, and it all really? goes hand-in-hand with what we, what we do, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I, and I also know that uh, As Is, you're a member of As Is International, As Is has a certification mm-hmm. um, also that is, I, I believe, supported by Homeland Security. Fantastic, you, yeah. Have you looked into that? No, no, I have not, uh, but I certainly will now. <laughs> the first time I was ever called for a deposition, it was kind of like a surprise. Really? You know, I have to do this? <laughs> I had no idea. So it, was that your experience as well? <laughs> the first time, yes. You kind of get startled a little bit by it. You get surprised. Uh, you don't know what exactly to expect. That is mm-hmm. kind of one of the reasons why not only we're talking here today, why I wrote about it, on my website in a blog article, but um, I, you know, I want to tell you a, a story about why I wrote this. We can talk a little bit more about kind of the definition of what a deposition is as well, but um, to give you some context into why we want to talk about depositions, I'd love to tell you a quick story. you have time for that real quick? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Great. So a couple years ago, let's, let's talk about... Um, the reason why we're doing this deposition, first off, this is a medical malpractice case. This happened a couple of years ago, and I was the investigator assigned to the case. And the medical malpractice, as you, as you, your listeners may or may not know, it's a huge deal. Hospitals insure their surgeons and doctors for a lot of money uh, in the event that there's a medical malpractice suit against them. And that was the case here. I did surveillance on a local TV personality, and this woman had been in an automobile accident, injured herself very badly, and the deal was she claimed that she had a back injury so bad that not only could she not move around barely, she couldn't remain active, she couldn't live her life normally, that the details were so grim that she claimed that she, during sexual intercourse, could not feel sensation. And that's what mm-hmm. we discovered in the deposition on her end. Now, we can't prove that last part, but we can certainly prove that she's active and can move around. For sure. So we, we were assigned to surveillance. We did surveillance. The legal team said, do, do a couple of days of surveillance on this lady, capture a video of her, write a report, and send it out. And for the first two days I did surveillance on her, 
I got some great video. Uh, we ended up getting video of her moving her garbage cans around. She was walking the dogs normally. Uh, the second day, she cleaned out her entire vehicle with a vacuum. She was on her knees bending over to capture this all on video, presented it to the legal team, and they submitted it. What we come to find out, and this is where you were surprised, I was surprised as well, uh, they shocked us a little bit and said, yeah, we're going to deposition. And mm-hmm. I'd been deposed several times before, but um, the law team was only, it's really a boutique law firm, so it was really only it was a one-person one show, one-man one shop. And we had been prepared by having conducted prior depositions, but in this case, we were not fully prepared, we come to find out. So day comes of the deposition, we go in, and... Assuming that we're only going to be there for maybe an hour, we assumed incorrectly. I was there for about four hours deposed <laughs> right. on the video I obtained, and it was excruciating. The, the legal opposing counsel was there grilling me for those four hours, hour after hour. We took frequent breaks. Uh, our counsel objected several times, and that's something that doesn't happen during a deposition. Mm-hmm. So long story short, we were Ill, I was ill-prepared for the deposition, and having figured this all out, uh, implemented it into our investigator's manual, and then wrote this blog article in hopes of fully educating investigators and lawyers out there that we needed to be better prepared, and these are ways you can go about doing that. And and what what was the main thing that you were unprepared for, Adam? Certainly the length was the big problem. Um, uh-huh. But I think there's a, a, a lot of, the, the amount of time we spend there was a big problem. But I think that overall, in gen- if I was to sum it up in one, one sentence here, I'd say that we needed to be on the same page as our lawyer. Uh, we needed to know and be prepared fully for what questions might come up. And that's, I think, one thing that lacked. And I think we could have been more aggressive with the, law, the lawyer to get prepared for you know that that happens fairly often. You know where uh, an attorney, whether it's in court or a deposition, the attorney will just call you and, and you're going to be there, and you're you're running off the cuff without yeah. any preparation. I can't tell you how many times that happens, even with yeah. even with civilian witnesses. Yes, absolutely. And and one of the things that we had discussed briefly prior to coming on was that. Large law firms um, have these procedures in place. I uh, was mm-hmm. opposed years ago by a larger law firm who, you know, you know how sophisticated law firms can be. You might have a trial attorney, you might have mm-hmm. a workers' comp attorney, and you might have attorneys that specifically do witness prep. Well, that was the case with my, one of my first depositions. Uh, we met several times with the legal team and were prepped nearly for every question that it could possibly come up. We were also prepped for how to look. You know, should we go in with a suit or should we dress? Uh, business? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's the standard procedure here? So mm-hmm. they coached us every step of the, along the way, and we saw a big discrepancy between the more sophisticated, larger law firms and the one-man shop. So we wanted to try to bridge that gap, and I wanted to make sure that every professional investigator out there takes the lessons learned and, and implements them. Well, so what... what- what I hear you saying, Adam, is that it, it's up to us, the investigators, to say to the attorney, we need to get together before this deposition. I have a lot of questions. 
that I need to ask you and I, and I need mm-hmm. to know what you're going to ask me and, and take that initiative to do that instead of letting, trying to, waiting for the attorney to suggest it. I think absolutely. I, I do. I, I think that you, you have to, even though it's not technically your job, and it may not be in your job description, mm-hmm. if you want to win the case or at least provide your truthful and expert testimony, you have to take that next step and reach out to the legal team if they haven't already reached out to you. A lot of large legal teams have these documents in place, um, but it might be in your best interest as an investigator to write up a procedure or manual for yourself right. in case this kind of situation comes up. And so, yeah, that's where I, I would stand on that. You do have to be aggressive to the legal team and say, hey, we need to get prepared for this. You know, we want to maybe win the case, you know, you never know whether or not you're actually going to win this. You want to make sure you're absolutely you know, prepared for this and give your best. Right. Yeah. It's not our job to win the case, but it's certainly our job not to do any damage to the case. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a bad thing when your investigator damages your own case. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's one of the things that the opposing counsel will look for in, in their question, line of questioning. They're looking to not only... Uh, look at the integrity of your video and report. They want to knock you down a peg or two. They want to poke holes in, mm-hmm. in your credibility. Uh, so it might be best to, when it comes to your credibility, actually draft up a resume that highlights your, your, your key wins, your, your education, your experience, and present that to your attorney. So they know that you are indeed a credible individual and that you, you've got, uh, you know, a ton of experience doing stuff like this so that they know that you're dealing with, so they know you're dealing, they're dealing with a professional. You know, Adam, that's a really good point because I see expert witnesses doing that all the time when they're being cross, when they're preparing for cross-examination or preparing for direct examination in court. Well, they'll actually write up a script for the attorney um, to go on for their testimony. So that, that's a really good uh, suggestion. Sure. So, okay. So what, what's the purpose of a deposition anyway? So if we're talking about the legal definition, deposition of, or legal definition of a deposition, what we're talking about is the investigators, or the, in this case, just the witnesses, sworn out-of-court testimony. We all know that we've all seen TV shows where we see witnesses in court, but this actually is before that court testimony, and this takes place during the fact-finding point in the case called discovery. The opposing counsel in discovery will ask you questions about your evidence and your role in the case, and then your answers will be recorded transcribed, and will become official court record, which can be referred to later in the case, specifically during that court, in the court. So that's what a deposition is. Yeah, and the attorneys have a very wide latitude on what they can ask compared to what would happen in court. Like, for instance, they can go on a fishing expedition um, on your background, your expertise, Uh what you did Prior to the investigation you did, what you did after, they can do all, ask you all kinds of things about that that wouldn't necessarily come up or wouldn't come up at all if you were in actually a court of law. Yes, absolutely. Discovery is a very 
a very general term, they can ask you your credentials, uh, specifically where you went to college, how long you've been a private investigator. They can ask you what kind of training you had leading up to being a private investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got questions, I remember distinctly in, in that medical malpractice case, we got questions from the attorney directed towards me that were specifically about how we videotaped our, the claimant. Were we on private property? Were we on public property? Uh, did we go where we weren't supposed to go? What methods did we use? How did you transfer the video to this DVD? Mm. You know, trying to just poke holes in the integrity of how you captured your, your evidence. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole goal was to try to eliminate that evidence altogether from the case so that, you know, that just went away and it wouldn't be part of uh, the opposing counsel's um, argument. Yeah. For sure. Oh, this is so interesting, Adam. We're going to take a quick break, though. Um, We'll be right back with Adam Bizdick. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PISDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Depositions are an integral part of the legal discovery process and um, we were just talking, Adam, you were just saying that how every detail of your investigation was was analyzed and scrutinized and questioned, really with the idea of tripping you up, I guess. Is that the way, what your take was? That's right. And one of the classic, uh, just to piggyback on that, one of the classic things that they do, this is something you'll frequently see when you are giving a deposition, so be prepared for this mentally, is they'll have a copy of your report and they'll have a copy of your video, naturally. 
Mm-hmm. So you'll be forced to watch your entire video, whether it's five minutes or several hours worth, but then you'll be asked to read word by word your entire report, whether that's two pages or 20 pages. So that, that can take up a big chunk of the, the deposition taking time period, but uh, be prepared for that and be prepared for them to scrutinize every single line of that report. So you better make mm-hmm. sure that even before going in that your report is up to snuff and it's, it's truthful and it's correct and accurate. Uh, very good advice. And, and again, you know, there, I mean, you're never going to be completely prepared because the opposing counsel is always going to think of something that you haven't thought of when, when you uh, were preparing. Uh, there's going to be those zingers that come at you. But I guess the basic thing um, on, for what we were talking about, you always tell the truth, right? Yes. There's, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's probably, that's probably number one, Francie. You, you definitely want to be truthful. That should be the first and foremost thing. Uh, it, it, as soon as you, you start making things up and you're ethically wrong and you start lying, it, just things will go astray and it's never going to work out best for you. So always, number one, tell the truth. No matter how much you want to help your attorney client. That's right. You don't, you have to be excruciatingly, excruciatingly honest. And, and if you don't know the answer to the question, you have to say you don't know. You say you don't know. So that's another thing. If one of the big things that I would say is answer the question that is asked of you. If yes. it's a yes or no question, just answer yes or no. Like you said, if you don't know the answer to the question, just say, I don't know. If you don't remember, say, you know, I don't remember, I don't recall, maybe more accurate, but never elaborate. If, if you try to insert your opinion, if you try to insert mm-hmm. Secondhand, secondhand, you know, hearsay. Don't do that. Just answer the question as it is asked of you. So don't try to elaborate. Never offer up information that isn't asked in the question. And if you can't answer yes or no, because they sometimes those questions are posed to you that they want to get that yes or that no, you say I I can't answer it yes or no. And that yeah, gives <laughs> your attorney the opportunity to come back and uh, get you to expand on what you wanted to say. Because some right. questions you just yeah. can't answer that way. That's right. You know, you're not the, the all-seeing eye here. You don't, you're not omnipresent. You don't have answers for every question. You can't answer every question. So, you know, again, as if, if, if they ask a question you simply don't have the answer to, you say, I can't really answer that question or I don't recall at the moment. And they have to, they're forced to move on to the next question. It's not your, pro, it's not your problem. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I see often people start to answer the question before the question is complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, there's a couple tactics. One is that, and this is something you can improve upon in your answer question or when you're answering the question is let them finish, let the opposing counsel finish the question. Let them finish it. Don't try to interject in that question before it's finished. Uh, Don't even nod your head yes or no or shake your head. Just wait wait from the finish. That's a tactic that they can use to get an answer out even before they've finished the question. Let them finish. But the reason why you want to do that is 
wait that half second is because if the question's illegal or the question, you know, based on what your, your lawyer is overhearing, it allows them a chance to object. Mm-hmm. You don't want to answer a question that's not pertinent or is, you know, it's just leading whatever the legal circumstances may be. Wait for the question to be asked and then wait if your lawyer wants to object to that line of questioning, let them do that. So it also gives you a chance to think about your answer on top of that. So, yeah, that's a, a definite tactic you want to use there. Give it a half second before every question is asked. Yeah, and, you know, I, asked, I, and I think some, um, just a, a side thought here, some attorneys write like to make you feel very comfortable, conversational. So it's like you're just having a conversation. And then that kind of lures you into comfort where you maybe could speculate uh, like you would in a conversation. Well, what it, it could have been this or it could have been that. And that would be a disaster. Yeah, you certainly don't want to speculate. Again, we talked about you don't want to speculate on the answer and you don't want to interject in the a question that you don't have. Um, I'd love to talk about another little tactic. These are educated people. Lawyers have been to school way longer than I have, and they've been doing this for days. Not to mention, they've been doing depositions every single day if they, you know, are a part of the law firm that handles that. So they've got a lot of tricks and tips. And one of those mm-hmm. is on top of what we just talked about the, uh, the classic pregnant pause, uh, or I should say, uh, um, So I lost my train of thought there. Where, you, where it's just silent and you feel like you need to fill in the space? Exactly. You don't want to fill in the space. The pregnant pause, you, the, the lawyer may ask a question, and they'll just wait, 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 wait. Wait as long as you have to wait. I mean, if they don't have a question there and just making a statement, uh, you know, don't fill in the blank. Don't offer them up something that is uh, going to help them don't offer up an answer you don't have. So avoid that. Be aware of it, and uh, wait for that question to come about. Yeah, you know that's or, a good that, point. There may be a tactic of that attorney to get you to cough up with some more information by just <laughs> intentionally uh, creating that pause. Yeah, and as you said, these people aren't your friends. They, they've got they've got tactics. They're smart people. Mm-hmm. They may be buddy-buddy with you, like you said, but your job is to be professional, courteous. Uh, you don't have to be friends with them. Uh, you're there to answer questions, and that's pretty much it. They're not your friends. Mm-hmm. And, and the opposing counsel often acts like they don't know anything. Either they're at, just asking questions because they don't really know anything about what you did, but they really do. So they're trying to, mm-hmm. to see if you make a mistake. See if they have information that, that you say something different, yeah. and so they're gonna. It's gonna be a an aha moment, <laughs> a gotcha moment. Exactly. Yeah. That's probably never the case. Uh, they go into these depositions incredibly prepared. Yes. Uh, and this might be another tactic, just to try to uh, make it seem like they're stumbling across information that's, like you said, an aha moment. These they go into these very prepared. Lawyers should be incredibly prepared. They know a lot about the subject matter, maybe in many cases, more than you, you do. Uh, so it's an act. So a lot of times they'll pull that move or they'll try to pretend like they, they don't know what they're talking about. They're naive and you're mm-hmm. educating them. Mm-hmm. But again, just answer the questions as it's, 
as it's stated, and, and don't react with body language negatively or positively. Uh, you know, when they when they come to these little aha moments. <laughs> oh, um, what do you think, Adam, about memorizing your testimony? Uh, I think that's. It sounds like it's a bad move. I would well, I would not try to practice memorizing your testimony. Certainly, you want to be prepared for any questions. Uh, but I think you go, you get into some problems trying to memorize your testimony. Um, the best bet is to stick with, you know, let them answer the questions, or I should say let them ask the questions as they're asked. And mm-hmm. you can never truly pre- prepare, like you said earlier, you can never truly prepare for all the questions they're going to ask. And memorizing your testimony, you go down a negative path there. So just let them do their thing and answer them as you truthfully as you can. Right, right. Um, what other tips do you have for, for either preparing yourself or being inside the deposition itself? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one thing that sometimes gets overlooked, and this is something that I have a little bit of, of experience with, is when you arrive at a deposition, uh, you should not be bringing any documents with you. What I mean by that is, Leave your report at home. Leave mm-hmm. copies of the video that you shot at home on the office. Now, don't bring those. Those are now, because you brought them in that, to that office, those are now part of discovery. Those can be discovered. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't submit for some odd reason, if you did not submit a video or a report or missing, or you, you ripped out a page accidentally, that now becomes part of deposition. It can be part of your sworn testimony. Uh, for example, when I was in a, a video conference uh, doing a deposition, I brought in a copy of the video because it was requested of me. Opposing counsel didn't have that. We played the video, but I, I brought in four separate copies of this video, assuming that there might be multiple people who would need them. Mm-hmm. And the opposing counsel assumed that there was extra video that I had not provided to the legal team. Well, that was the case. I just brought... And they were four copies of the same thing. Yeah, the exact same. It was the exact okay. same video. It was just four, 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 four copies of it. Yeah. And he assumed incorrectly that it was um, separate videos altogether that I had not submitted. So he attempted to hop right on that, thinking that he was going to get evidence. And I had to tell him, no, these are just the same exact video, just you know, exact copies. So beware of that. They'll they'll certainly use that as an opportunity to get more documents or discover things that you may have brought in. Right. So, yeah. So, so did you have to watch four videos? <laughs> just curious. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, no. It was just the one. So uh, just the one hour or so long video was enough. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have to, we, I guess what you're saying is everything you do is work product until the attorney decides to turn it over. Is it, you agree correct. with that? That's correct. Yeah, I, so, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're bringing it into the deposition, that makes it fair game. That makes it fair game. It's now it can officially be part of discovery. Uh, and and on, just to piggyback on that, there are other things that can be discovered that you don't even bring into the, to the, office, to, to the uh, deposition. Um, one of the tactics that you might take is... Again, with the hearsay thing, let's say uh, the deposition, in the deposition, the lawyer 
starts out on a, a, a path of questioning where they're asking about um, timesheets. That was a, a thing that happened in one of my depositions. The legal team, the opposing counsel, asked about the timesheet to attempt to match that timesheet up with the physical surveillance that we provided in our report. Really? Um, they and would ask those questions, and they, their attempt was to try to get that into official record. And uh, they were trying to, again, like I said, poke holes in our, in our argument, and matching up those timesheets might have provided some, you know, some uh, miscalculation or some missing piece of evidence that we didn't provide. You know, but we're, our timesheets were accurate, so it wasn't like there was anything to look for. But that was another way. They're going to they're gonna dig deep into things that you did bring and things that you didn't bring. And they're going to look at your timesheets. They're going to look at uh, potentially invoices. So if you're charging your client several thousand dollars for a, a surveillance, they're going to ask for that invoice and see if that, those line items match up to the days you did surveillance. Uh, they could potentially ask about procedures and protocols in your investigative manual. So even though you don't think it's a, a smart idea to keep those things updated or it's just too time-consuming, it's probably bet, in your best bet to, to keep those things in line uh, so because those can easily be called in discover, into discovery and uh, be used as official court record. Mm-hmm. And, you know, therefore, an, another reason to get together with, with your attorney client ahead of time and go through all of these areas what they're mm-hmm. what they're going to ask you, what he's going to ask you, or she's going to ask you, uh, what documents you should have or shouldn't have with you, how what the process is going to be, what the other the opposing counsels like, all the questions you would have, you need to get answered prior to the day you go in for that deposition. Absolutely, absolutely, another great reason to get prepped on your end and. and on the other end, prep your, your legal team so you know exactly what to expect when you get into that deposition. Yeah, great point. And, you know, sometimes you're asked about a document. Um, so you really need to see that document before you answer the question. That's true. Again, that's a, the speculation part. If you don't know about that document, it's probably not best to offer up any uh, information about it. If you have no idea what you know, let's say they ask about the timesheet. You don't know what's on it because you don't have that great of a memory. You're not going to say, oh, I, you're not going to say, I guess, or I think. It, it needs to be a more solid and accurate answer. You'd say, you know, you might even say, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't recall. I don't know at this time. Uh, again, they're trying to dig for holes in your argument and your credibility and, and you by you offering up things that you can't know, possibly know about or speculate, speculate about. It's not going to help your your argument. So I'd avoid offering up things that you can only guess about. And the thing that you you really always have to keep in mind is they're looking, exactly what you just said, they're looking for holes in your testimony. So any Mm -hmm. little thing can be blown up under a magnifying glass. It's amazing how one Mm -hmm. word or one statement or one... uh, entry into a document could change the whole tenor of the deposition. Absolutely. And this is where, this is where you've got to keep your cool. And one of the things that they are looking for on top of the holes in the physical documents that you have is your body language. 
We, mm-hmm. A lot of private investigators out there are body language experts. They can tell if you're, you're lying many times. They see a shift in your body language. Same with legal experts. They study body language, and they can tell if you are uncomfortable. And your job is to stay cool, stay calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't show any signs of boredom, anger, exa- you know, you're exasperated, you're tired. If you need a, a few minutes rest here because you're in a four-hour deposition, Ask your legal counsel if you can take a, a five-minute recess. Come back after having got some water and take a quick break. You know, you got to keep it cool there. And, and that's one thing that legal counsel are looking to, to get out of you is those little minute micro you know, ex- expressions that they can pounce on. So avoid mm-hmm. those altogether, yeah. Right, yeah. All right. We need to take a quick, another quick break. We'll be right back. That was Adam. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. So we're talking about depositions today, and, and even though um, it sounds probably counterintuitive that a deposition is much more difficult than being on a witness stand in front of a whole courtroom of people, uh, it really is. So, and, I, and Adam, I was just going to tell you, the best advice I ever had um, from anybody about get, preparing for a deposition or being present in the deposition is this is an expert witness who I know pretty well that I've worked with a number of years and she said mm-hmm. sit down put your arms on the the uh, arms of the chair in an open position with your feet planted firmly on the floor 
and just relax. And if there's if there's zingers from the opposing counsel, just let them go by. Just like, and she gave an example of being in a martial arts situation where you're in a defensive standpoint, but you just step aside when that zinger comes through. And I thought that was just such great (laughs) advice uh, because that's what happens. Sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so let's let's go through uh, the pointers that that you think are uh, really key points for being a good opponent. For sure. Absolutely. We've got a list of of 10 tips that you can use to be an expert witness. And, you know, the point of writing this was it needed to be short so everybody could read it very easily and and kind of get an idea of how to be great at giving an effective deposition. Number one in that list was, first and foremost, uh, be professional. You are a professional private investigator, so act as if dressed neatly, uh, not over the top. Again, we talked briefly about you don't necessarily need to wear a three-button double-breasted suit. You can wear business casual, you know, slacks, dress shoes, shave, wear a button-down collared shirt if you're a man, uh, perhaps a, a business suit if you're a woman, and mm-hmm. act courteously. So be professional overall uh, with the first one. Yeah, I, absolutely. And from, you know what? And from the time you drive up and get out of your car, just be, just because you're not in the deposition room doesn't mean people aren't watching you. So be prepared for that, because uh, they're probably looking out the window waiting for you to get there, seeing what kind of de- what kind of person they're dealing with. <laughs> absolutely. If you drive in, uh, uh, drive up in a, uh, a a vehicle, a used car with busted out windows and uh, <laughs> broken taillights, they'll probably see you as a maybe not so professional investigator, and they might jump all over you for the opportunity to tear apart your credibility. So exactly, you yeah, yeah. The, every component is fair game. <laughs> okay, what else? So number two uh, was be candid. We talked about this early on. Be candid. If the question asks for a yes or no, just the yes or no will do. Don't elaborate or volunteer information, especially if you don't know exactly what took place. Never volunteer secondhand information. So be candid was number two. Okay. I totally agree with that. And we've already talked about your number three, the beware of the pregnant pause. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, we even, we even work with that pregnant pause, um, those of us that do uh, interviews with witnesses, often use a pregnant pause to have, make sure that we're getting all the information. So attorneys use it as well, intentionally. That's right. And it, it sounds like it's a tactic a lot of people are using. But, yeah, absolutely, the investigators have been using this for forever. Uh, if you go into the Reed interrogation or Wicklanders or whatever it might happen to be, you'll come across some form of the pregnant pause where you'll specifically and intentionally uh, allow your claimants or person you're investigating to fill in the blanks for you. So on the opposite end, as a deponent, avoid that fill-in-the-blank opportunity. I know we all want to sound smart and say that you have all the answers, but avoid that altogether. As you said, put your feet firmly on the ground, and I would like to say 
just be like a, a Buddhist monk. Just wait for right. your opportunity to answer the question. Don't exactly. don't uh, fill in the blank there. And it's not your job to ed- educate the opposing counsel. <laughs> you know, <That's> which. Right. <laughs> Which sometimes we, you know, in our ego, we want to show everything we know, but it's not our job to educate them. That's right. And again, that's one of those tactics we discussed. They may not be educated based on what they're asking, but there's a pretty good chance that they know exactly what they're doing and they are incredibly educated about what's going on. So avoid that one altogether. Yeah. And, and your point about leaving your documents at home or leaving any of your evidence at home is uh, really important because uh, I don't know about you, but I keep all my case file things in the same place. Like if I made notes to the file or uh, made uh, maybe uh, analyzed a witness or, or something else, I have that all in my case file. So if I brought my case file into the deposition room, that would all be fair game. That would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was number four. Leave those documents at home. You definitely don't want to offer up more information than has already been presented as part of written procedure. Because uh, that stuff's going to be discovered. That You come in, in there carrying a manila folder with all your notes and all your little pieces of evidence. Now that's part of the, the case. And it probably shouldn't be. It's not official record. But avoid bringing those in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this is another thing we, we did talk about, but I, I think it's worth mentioning again, is if you don't know the answer, you say you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, if you don't know it, don't feel compelled to come up with an answer. Just because a question is lingering out there doesn't mean you have to answer it. If you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. And if you don't recall what was being asked, that's it. Just say, I don't recall. It's very simple. I don't know. I don't recall. Right. And, and you know, there's that, that pressure, that pressure that you're supposed to know all these answers. Mm-hmm. And why don't you know the answer? <laughs> and, and you think that your expertise, you mm-hmm. should be able to give an answer. So saying, I don't know, feels very uncomfortable. Exactly. (laughs) It's true. You do. We all have that ego. Like you said, we want to have the answers to everything, but that's not what this is all about. You got to, you got to check yourself and you do have to uh, limit and reduce, you know, the quote unquote expertise you have by, you know, redacting what you, what you're saying here. Keep it very short and sweet. That's probably one of the better axioms you could use. So, so, Adam, say I'm the uh, opposing attorney and I'm questioning you and I ask you, say, a specific, a sp- specific question about the, mm-hmm. say, you were, you were talking earlier about a medical malpractice case um, or a mm-hmm. medical um, workers' comp case. So I ask you a question, what, what are you going to do? What, what's your reaction initially? Sure. I ask you the question... Do you, and you, I want to give you, I want to take a little time to let you finish the question completely. I want to pause for a split second before I answer. That gives me time to think about what I have to say. And maybe even more importantly, it gives our counsel uh, the opportunity to object to that question. It could be you know, a legal question. It could be 
you know, I don't know the legal argument for that, but you just want to give them an opportunity to step in and object to a line of question that they don't think is right. So, yeah, give yourself a little bit of time before you answer each question. At the same time, I think, uh, I mean, there is, there's probably a, part of time that would be too long that sounds like you're trying to make something up so long pauses wouldn't be good it seems to me <laughs> they, they may jump on that one if you take forever to, and this is true of, of interviewing and interrogations with private investigators if you're sitting there and people seem to have the wheels turning in their brain just did I do this? Did I do that? I couldn't remember if they're taking way too long that might also be an indicator that something else is it's happening behind the scenes. Uh, so you may not want to take, like you said, too long to answer a question, uh, but maybe just long enough. I know that's putting a lot of pressure on deponents right. to answer questions in a right. specific amount of time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to take in an hour to answer a question that's you know, a yes or no question, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, one, of, uh, one of the things that you've mentioned in your, uh, your list of pointers here is about humor. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of us have a bit of a, those of us that are private investigators and probably also form law, uh, former law enforcement um, have a little morbid sense of humor, maybe a little sarcasm <laughs> that well, <laughs> when we are asked something that we think is a, a funny question or a, or a stupid question, mm-hmm. we might react in the same vein and that would be also another disaster. Yeah, for sure. Now, here's the funny thing. I've heard, uh, I've been in the court where an investigator that I'm colleagues with gave his testimony in court in front of a grand jury, and somehow his one-liner that he used actually went over incredibly well, and the grand jury started cracking up, and, and I, I can't tell you exactly about it, but I would tell you this, limit your humor, avoid it altogether when it comes to the deposition, and I wouldn't say use it I'm not endorsing that in the court of law, but you mm-hmm. do want to avoid jokes and humor altogether. It doesn't come off well in written trans- transcripts, and as the Internet says, you know, there's no such thing as sarcastic font. So avoid that altogether, especially when it comes to, to depositions. You're a professional. You have to be courteous and straightforward with your answers there. You know, what it boils down, we almost have to, in a, in a deposition as an investigator, we almost have to be perfect, pristine, you know, mm-hmm. vanilla, <laughs> Just straight <laughs> arrow. I don't know how many adjectives I can come up with, uh, <laughs> but just, you know, we're just a vehicle at that point of answering the questions for what, what we did or what uh, happened on a particular case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big thing. I think the, the end all be all is you want to present yourself as a competent witness. You want to win the case, certainly. You want to use this opportunity to position yourself as an expert, someone who can be called upon as a witness, someone who can be utilized as a private investigator many, many times again. You're impressing not only uh, the opposing counsel, you're impressing your counsel, perhaps the judge. This is an opportunity to be, as you say, pristine. So use it wisely. Well, and just like Joe Friday, just state the facts. That's all you have to do is state the facts. (laughs) That's right. Be truthful, accurately. State it as accurately as you can. Uh, One of the things I I read was that I wrote about was just 
you don't want to give insight about someone else's feelings or thoughts. You're not in their brain, so don't pretend like you are. And do you, have you ever had a situation where the uh, attorney was trying to tr- actually trip you up? Jeez, uh, it might have been every single question they asked. Now that you think well, about yeah. it, <laughs> probably so. In general, yeah. But I not, mean, well, I, but I guess say this not specifically. Go ahead. I want to hear. Okay, your... something like uh, misstating. I, I had a situation in trial where the uh, district attorney misstated what I said, mm-hmm. and. And again, it's, you know, it's easy. You got to listen really carefully. It's easy to agree or disagree. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, that wasn't correct. Uh, she, she actually tried to, uh, she had my notes up on the uh, board and she was trying to mm-hmm. make my notes say something they didn't say. And you can't let that go. Yeah. Yes, got to say, no, that's not what it says. Yeah, that seems to be a little tactic there, and you don't want to let the, the opposing counsel, the examiner, put words in your mouth. You, uh, you don't want to accept voluntarily their characterization of your report, you, you know, your time that you put in, your, your personality, the events that transpired. You want to, if anything, rephrase the answer or the question into a kind of your own words and, and put, you know, put that to bed, put it to your exact phrasing. So don't let them take advantage of you that way by uh, just having them answer, you know, investigate that way. So yeah, it's that's, a little tactic you have to be aware of as well. That's a really good point. Uh, I really like that where you just said rephrase their question with your answer. Mm-hmm. And that makes a complete deposition. And you know what, Adam? We're out of time. <laughs> I know that we could get it to delve in so many more areas here, but I hope mm-hmm. uh, we t- we've touched the tip of the iceberg for folks that mm-hmm. would uh, be interested in delving more into uh, how they handle their depositions. So yeah. uh, thank you mm-hmm. for sharing your expertise, Adam. It was great having you on the show. Good luck on your uh, getting your master's. That'll be fabulous. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. And for the rest of you, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Adam Bisnick. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management. I'm Jesse Gonzalez, Vice President Kmart. 
Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies in the United States, or that survivors can face a lifetime of serious health problems? But you can help. Join me in Kmart for the March for Babies Walk. We'll work together to raise funds for research and programs that help the Marchionites fight premature birth and birth defects and improve the health of moms and babies. Start your team today at marchforbabies.org.